Welcome. I hope you enjoy the conversation you're about to hear between me and another comedian regarding comedy and religion. These are conversations I'm calling disorganized religion. God bless, and for those atheists out there, may nothing await you after this life. Excellent. Well, welcome, nerds, uh, to today's episode. It's going to be a little different for those of you watching. Uh, We've got Frank King online. He's based in New York. No, no, I'm based in Eugene, Oregon, silly boy. Eugene, Oregon. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. I'm terrible. That's all right. The other coast. It's the drugs. Uh, (laughs) That's right. He has been doing comedy for for forever. Uh, 34 years. Started the day after Christmas, 1985. Went on the road with my lovely girlfriend then. My wife now, 2,629 nights in a row. Nonstop. No home. Jeez. Opened up for Seinfeld and Dennis Miller, Rosie O'Donnell, and Ellen DeGeneres, and Kevin Neal, and Dana Carvey, and Adam Sandler. And, and back then, they put you up com- comedy condos. Oh, we, yeah. We didn't just work together. We went home and drank beer and watched Letterman together. So Sure. It was a great – it was like the golden age of comedy clubs. Yeah. Unbelievable. And then you wrote for The Tonight Show for 20 years. Yeah, about the, somewhere in the late 80s, early 90s, Jay became the permanent guest host of The uh-huh. Tonight Show. And Johnny was very, Carson, very mercurial. Yeah. He said, he said he was staff on a Friday evening. I'm taking next week off. <laughs> well, I mean, he could do what he wanted. Yeah. Right? And he had, Monday was always best of Carson rerun. So that meant Jay had four nights, 18 jokes per monologue to put together over the weekend. Yeah. So he started this thing where he had guys faxing in jokes called fax writers. Yeah. And I got, I, I knew a comic who was doing it. I asked him to, I got the paperwork, signed the independent contractor for him, and I started submitting. Yeah. And it did that while he was guest hosting. And every now and then they would change the fax number and separate the wheat from the chaff, and I kept making the cut, making the cut. Yeah. yeah. Finally, when he got the show for real, kept on the fax writers, I got the fax number. Hmm. I had two jokes in his very first monologue. Oh, wow. Well, I know comics. I knew there was a two-week break between Johnny and Jay, and I knew the comics, since they're yeah. mostly lazy because people don't go into comedy because they've got a great work <laughs> ethic. Um, right. I mean, I pounded the jokes in. and uh, One was um, some guy in Texas got stung by stung to death by bees. Uh-huh. And I said, well, it wasn't, it wasn't killer bees. It was, uh, it was regular honeybees upset over the uh, Rodney King verdict. Yeah. And the other one was Dan Quayle said that Murphy Brown, that sitcom character, I uh, had a child out of wedlock, which mocks the importance of fathers. And then Quayle actually said this, where would I have been without my dad? My punchline, my guess, Vietnam. Thank you. <laughs> Killed. Ah, uh, that's great. Two on the first show. That's biggest, beautiful. Biggest accomplishment. That's excellent. And now you're doing, uh, I guess you're known now as the mental health comedian. Correct. Uh, and you're doing motivational talks, TED Talks, corporate gigs all over the place. Getting ready to do my fifth TED Talk. Yeah. In Durango, Colorado. Is it okay if I tell you what the title is? Because it's a Please. little body, a little adult. No dirty words, but yeah, it's a little yeah, out yeah, there. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Now, bear in mind, Seth, I knew when I came up with this idea that yeah. not every TEDx committee would like it. And I got to tell you, I submitted it 13 times. <laughs> On the 13th time, I got a phone call. She goes, we'd like you to come to TEDx. And I couldn't remember because I had two ideas I was submitting uh-huh. at the same time. Yeah. Which idea did I submit? She goes, Frank, let me read this. Mental health and the orgasm. Treat your depression single-handedly. Oh, yes. beautiful. Yes. <laughs> beautiful. She goes, we're putting you on after lunch to wake everybody up. Oh, I'll take care of that. Thank you. Yeah, that's excellent. Yes, well, congratulations. This is, the, this is one of my jokes. This is my second favorite handheld device. This yeah. <laughs> Thank you. 
I'll be here all week on the Astroglide. Yeah. All right. And before all that, you were Episcopalian, right? <laughs> yeah. I was so raised, we're gonna get, we're I was gonna raised get, Episcopalian, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. One, so, uh, sorry. Go ahead. One flat, boring religion. Oh my God. Is that right? Oh God. Oh Lord. Um, I, my dad died at forty. My mom had to go to work. You ever seen the movie The Help? Uh, yes. Yeah. African American yeah, yeah. women. Yeah. Well, I yeah. lived it. That was what the South was like when I was a kid. No. A kidding, friend of yeah. mine who grew up in the South didn't think there were young african-american women because he never saw anyone that was under a certain age uh-huh. because in his white neighborhood and my mom was very liberal the my math teacher miss hartley came over for dinner one night when i was sixth grade first yeah. black woman that had been in the neighborhood in a house that wasn't cleaning it yeah that's what it was like so my mom had to go to work full-time after my dad died and we had to have, we had to got a housekeeper a maid a uh-huh. magnolia and she was a um, minister in the united church of christ mm. and so we would go, you know, like every other week, we go to church with her, to the black church. Yeah. And, and the contrast was <laughs> just—I mean, you know, the Episcopalians are subtle. Yeah. You, you know, they they operate by the church calendar, so it's the yeah. same every. You could you could drop from space on the same week, and the next year they'd be doing the same. It's Epiphany. Oh, great. Okay. Uh huh. Uh, but the black church, I mean, I mean, there are people rolling in the aisles. I had a guy look at Mr. Bojangles, all bone and skin, playing the right. piano, people speaking in tongues. Right. All they didn't do was handle snakes. Yeah. And so it was just a, you know, you're supposed to feel the spirit when you go to church. You could feel if there was something in that <laughs> church. I don't know what it was, but it was definitely missing. Yeah. When I go to church with an elderly friend, I'm an atheist, but my wife, my wife's oldest friend, literally, yeah. is an Episcopalian. That's a big part of her life. And I, you know, I'm Episcopalian, so I know the drill. So I right. take her to church uh, a couple Sundays a month, and uh, there's a little kiosk, a coffee kiosk right next door. So I stop and get a triple shot of espresso over ice so I can knock it down fast, and that gets me through the sermon. Because yeah. otherwise, I'd be faced down in a pool of my own saliva. It is just <laughs> so boring. Oh man! So you're still attending church, but all or not? Yeah, with my elderly friend. She's 94. It. It's, it's a big part of her life. That's kind of her yeah. social life. Yeah. And so I'm I'm of, of the belief. Let's say you either hanging out with somebody old or somebody really young, like a child. My thing is, if you're gonna spend time with somebody like that, do what they like to do. Uh-huh. As a kid, well, we're gonna go see a movie. Let's go transform the last night. All right. Yeah. Right. You of know. It's her life. It's what makes her happy. Then why yeah. not, you know? Yeah. So I, I go with her. And I enjoy the intellectual exercise. I enjoy debating, you know, back and forth with the minister on certain scriptures. And, you know, uh, and, I, and occasionally I'll actually heckle a little bit. Oh, um, yeah. She'll be, she'll be talking about some lesson. And she goes, we're going to leave out all the raping and pillaging and whatever. And I go, no, no, that's the best part. <laughs> yeah, leave that in. It's context. Yeah, they... It took a little while for them to get used to me, sure. but you know, it just it kind of wakes everybody up. And uh, yeah, of course. Oh wait, and they played one time. Um, they decided to, to hip up the music a little bit, and so they, the song started, and I thought, this sounds like Amazing Grace, but and there's like Amazing Grace, how great thou art. Da, 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 da. I'm like, oh, uh, no. are you kidding me? The dirge, Amazing the dirge Grace version. is an yeah, it's an anthem. When you get done with that song, you should be weeping. Yeah. You know, I just, when I saw Obama singing that church in South Carolina, I wept. That's the way that song is meant to be done. Right. Who can wring the energy out of Amazing Grace? Well, the Episcopalians can, apparently, Seth. 
Oh, fascinating. So what got you? I want to start first with your, your career in comedy. So what got you started yeah. in comedy? Eighth grade. No, fourth grade. Mm. Uh, I, had to wear, I had to wear glasses. I'm terribly vain. And back when I was a kid, Seth, we're talking, let's see, fourth grade would have been 64, 1964. Uh-huh. Um, there were no fashion frames like you're wearing now. Oh, sure. No contact lenses. Yeah, they had yeah. One, guys had one frame, the Buddy Holly black plastic. Very popular now, Ray-Ban. Right, right. Girls had cat eye glasses in a couple of colors. Yeah. And I hated them. And then I needed them because my, my family is so nearsighted, Seth. I used to joke that we were from the island of myopia. Uh-huh. Um, and it was conquered over and over because we never saw anybody coming. Yeah. Uh, so That's the true. teacher decided that the thing to do is to desensitize the entire class to my glasses. Let's get this over with. Yeah. Which is probably a good idea. She got me to the front of the class, had me turn my back to the class, put my glasses on, turn back around, look at the class. She said this. She looks down. She goes, hey, see, you look intelligent. And I said, mm-hmm. yes, that would explain the laughter. Uh, <laughs> she excused herself, Seth, to go to the teacher's lounge at that moment. Uh-huh. I had no idea why. And years later, in the Winn-Dixie, I bumped into her. She goes, Frank, do uh-huh. you have any idea why I left class that morning? I said, Ms. Dark, I have no idea. Yeah. She goes, because that was the funniest thing a child ever said to me. <laughs> and I was afraid if I busted out laughing in front of you, it would just crush you somehow. Oh, so I ran down to the teacher's lounge and told them the story right then. Yeah. So that uh, then when I got to high school, I, was, I took three years of drama. Mm. And I never got a good part. I was always in the chorus. Oh, and yeah. Uh, the, I'm, I'm not that bright, Seth, but by the by my senior year, second semester, I think I think I see a pattern. <laughs> right. So it occurred to me that if I did stand up, I could write, direct, and star in my own little show every night. Yeah. So I put together a stand up routine, and turns out in 1975, I was the first person ever to do stand up at the senior talent show. And there's a picture no. in that yearbook of me in, in a suit where I look like a Waffle House manager. Yeah. Uh, doing, and I did stand up. Then, then I told my mom, because it, it, it went well. Yeah. I said, I'm, I'll be a comedian. She goes, uh, you're going to college? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, don't care, I don't care what you do when you're done. You can be a goat herder. Yeah. But you're going to be a you're goat go. herder with a degree. Right. So UNC Chapel Hill, degree in political science, labor management relations. This never hurt me any. I'm glad I went. Mm. Um, married my high school sweetheart, um, which is a mistake. She's a wonderful woman. We, we had nothing in common. Uh, uh-huh. You know what they say, opposite, opposite to track. She was pregnant. I wasn't. Right. Um, right. So uh and i couldn't get a job the unc has a wonderful placement center yeah i have literally interviewed this is literal now 77 times wow no callbacks no second no, no i'm sure but the, you know what i got to think about years later they're probably really good at their job seth they looked yeah. at me and thought yeah. this guy's a clown <laughs> and that's they what they're were right. known for is for placing people on their first try Right. Yes. 77 though. By the time I got to 75, six and seven, I didn't even bother dressing up. I just came straight from the intramural basketball game with the ball bouncing the ball. <laughs> you know, while we waste each other's time. Yeah. Yeah. It's we're wasting each other's time. I know you're going to hire me or even bring me back. So her, her father worked for an insurance company. They had to have an opening in marketing. There was an mm-hmm. opening in Raleigh where I was from, got in. They moved us to San Diego, which was the beginning of the end of my insurance career because there's a comedy store there. Yeah. And in terms of mental health, and I've done a TED talk on this, it's called Suicide, the Secret of My Success, Dead Man Talking. Because what I realized at age 23 or four, whatever it was, that if if I I got depressed and suicidal because I was in the wrong marriage, a lovely woman, but we weren't meant to be together. Right. Wrong industry, insurance, great business, but I wasn't going to open mic nights. And I had this thought, I'm going to kill myself sooner rather than later. Interesting. My second thought was, hey, 
I could divorce my wife, quit my job, try comedy. If it works, and I think it will, terrific. If it doesn't, I can still kill myself. <laughs> sure. That's how I got into comedy. I, I, and in the TED Talk, I say the power of that thought is I had absolutely nothing to lose. Yeah, right. You know, if you were happily married and had a good job and you threw all that away to do comedy and it didn't work, your sure. thought is, oh, man, I lost everything. Well, I had yeah. nothing to lose. Yeah. And I've met several people, comics and others, entrepreneurs who had the same basic thought process in a life yeah. they didn't think they belonged in. If I don't get out of this and do something else, I'm going to kill myself. Hey, and I'm working Ooh. on a book. Um, title is Life in the Exit Row, Starting the Conversation on Suicide. Mm. Because with chronic suicidality, which is what I have, yeah, it's always an option for me. I, my right. car broke down right. a couple of years ago. I had three thoughts unbidden, get it fixed, buy a new one. I could just kill myself. Yeah. So that so, and then the starting the conversation on suicide is the reason I get hired to speak over and over. The client goes, yeah, we just want somebody to come in here and, and start the conversation on suicide. And it, this right. past weekend, I'm in Minneapolis, a speaker marketing thing. Uh -huh. and I said that the guy, I go, Mark, I, I can't think of a, 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 like a million dollar title for my book. Yeah. And he goes, okay, Frank, I think I know what it is, but let's try this experiment. What does your client say to you when they hire you? Oh, we just want somebody to start the conversation on suicide. <laughs> and he just waits. Oh my God, starting a conversation on suicide. <laughs> so you, his thing is with speaking, you get a book and a title. Yeah. yeah. Now I bought the URL, um, starting, uh, start the conversation dot L I V E, which I'll say is live. Yeah. A and my keynote will be called, um, living in the exit row, starting the conversation. So, so you brand yourself with those three things, book, URL, and keynote right. title. Right. You, be, you become a brand. And by the way, since I've become a brand, I've raised my fee three times. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah. I just got a note from a speaker's bureau because I wrote that. I, I typed them. Uh, by the way, my fee's gone up at 7500 to 15000 Yeah. And she wrote back, and exactly why is it? <laughs> <laughs> because who else are you going to find? Yeah. Because, you know, I know that what the barrel of my gun tastes like. Find another speaker who can tell you that. Huh? 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 <laughs> And, oh, and that's can amazing. I, can, I, can I brag a little bit, Seth? Yeah, please do. I, I, I'm this close to a, uh, see, I booked a $10,000 one in, on October 8th after doing yeah. a safety convention. Um, I booked one in uh, February in Canada uh -huh. for a big teacher association, 10 grand. Yeah. And I'm this close to one January 2nd and 3rd for 10 plus travel, less the commission to the speaker. So, I mean, <laughs> so, hey, not bad. Congratulations. Okay. Yeah, well, see, and here's the here's the admission part of it. I've never raised my fee unless somebody said to me, "Man, you're too cheap." Another speaker. Oh, sure. Yeah. I, you know, I, I've been training speakers, and these yeah. these these kids come out of the shoot at five grand a pop. Yeah. And if you are, come on, man, you wrote for yeah. money. So yeah. every time somebody says that. Yeah, well, that's a good measure, right? And anyway, yeah, it's you know, <laughs> and unfortunately, suicide is a growth industry. One every eleven minutes right. in the U.S. Right. So it's just, and there are certain industries that. I target construction is number one because I, they're the number one. Yeah. Dentists, veterinarians, they're all oh, trying. Interesting. To not yeah, dentists. I was dentists always... not number one. No. Huh. Used to be when I opened my dental thing, I go, look, boys and girls, I got good news. I got bad news. Good news is you're not number one on the at-risk occupation list. <laughs> bad news is you're number six with a with a bullet. Still Thank there. You. Yeah. Still there. Yeah. Oh, so anyway, interesting. That's, that's my and I went from after I came close to dying by suicide. Uh, when I sold insurance, Seth. 
I really like those like Zig Ziglar guys, you know, the motivational speakers. The, yeah. And I thought, you know, I could do that if I just had something to say. Because uh, but as a comic, I was just, I was like being funny, but not making a difference. Yeah. So after the close call and with my family history of my grandmother dying by my, my great aunt uh, and me coming close. And I read Judy Carter's book, Judy Carter of the Comedy Bible. Hmm. Yeah. Wrote a book called The Message of You, Turning Your Life into a Money-Making Speaking Career, which is oh. a fabulous subtitle. Yeah. So if, you, if you're a comic and you're thinking about making that jump and you're watching this podcast, get Judy's book, The Message of You, I'm telling you. And people always ask me, what's the difference between a comedian and a speaker? Well, about five grand plus travel. Uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe a yeah. centralized message, right? Yeah, but the problem is, again, comics don't get into the business because they got a great work ethic. Right. But anyway, Judy wrote that book, uh, Message of You, and about halfway through I thought, oh, man. I've got a message. And then yeah. I used that book to put my TED talk together, my first one. And then mm -hmm. there's a book called Talk Like Ted, which is uh, nine things in every great TED talk. So I got that one and I refined the one, the Judy one, yeah. nine things. And I got, I got picked by my first TEDx, wow. uh, the first time I applied. And that, was it. that allowed me to rebrand with, uh, you know, with the speakers bureaus and such from a comic, what Judy would say, from a funny speaker to a speaker right. who's funny. <laughs> right. And that's when my fee started going up. Because once got you've got it. content, takeaways, learning objectives, once you can teach them something, yeah. then the meeting planner can go, well, there's the ROI. Yeah. So. Yeah. Excellent. So had you not always been talking about mental illness uh, no. in your stand-up? No. I didn't uh -huh. come out until that TED Talk. Interesting. Nobody in my family knew. My wife didn't know. My friends didn't know. Yeah. I, matter of fact, the TED Talk posted on Thanksgiving in 2014. My yeah. wife's about to push the button to play. And I go, hold on. We should probably have a little chat for you. Yeah, I don't yeah, want you to uh, find out this way. Let's, yeah, watching me, you know, like what the what the in front of hundreds of people. This is you. This is you. <laughs> yeah, it was a script. It was a script. Uh, yeah. So, and what I what I discovered Seth, was no, hardly anybody talks about it, which is yeah. another reason they're willing to pay me that kind of money because right, most people right. won't get up and say I'm crazy. Um, and I gave up my self respect and pride in the bankruptcy. I couldn't care less. Mm -hmm. uh, but the um, coming out like that I, and as i was researching the ted talk i realized people don't talk about depression and suicide unless you mention it out loud and then uh -huh. people say the most amazing i'm working a cruise boat yeah and it, it's uh, about 12 weeks a year on the boats it's holland america uh, usually the longer cruises older passengers yeah and because i'm older and it seemed to get along with them and <laughs> i did i just did 10 days on out of 115 day world cruise we're talking old people and their parents oh wow uh, Every night, same thing for dessert, oxygen. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and so much white hair in the theater, it looked like a Q-tip convention. Anyway, I'm on the ship, and I can't find a place to sit in the Lido for breakfast. So I look over, as a woman table for two empty chairs. So I point, she nods, I sit. Yeah. And she looks up, she goes, hey, are you the comedian? I go, hey, did you enjoy the comedy show? She goes, I really yeah. did. I said that I'm the comedian. Yeah. She starts laughing. She goes, what would, I, what would you have said if I told you I hated it? Uh, they tell me I look a lot like him. <laughs> She asked me, do you do comedy? Is this all you do? Cruise comedy. I said, no, I do it about 12 weeks a year. I'm a public speaker. And I said, oh, listen, I hope you don't mind me bragging. I just nailed down my first TED Talk. Yeah. She goes, I love the TED Talks. What's the topic? Okay, Seth, I've had this conversation many times. Yeah. I knew what was coming. So I said to her, depression and suicide. Started to count down in my head. Three, two, one. Right. She goes, tried to kill myself twice. We just met. <laughs> first time in college. Not, not serious, she said. Second time, far more serious, Frank. She goes, I had graduated college. I graduated medical school. I had the knowledge. I had the equipment. She said, I had the IV started in my ankle. No kidding. Suicide cocktail in one hand, syringe in the other, getting ready to load them up, and the phone rings. 
Jeez. now she's conflicted. Do I pick up the phone? Well, she thought, better pick up the phone. Right. Because might be somebody who'd worry, come over, interrupt. Yeah. Picks up the phone, 13-year-old son. Jeez. Yep. She goes, I don't know if you heard something in my voice, had a premonition, but yeah. he said, mom, don't do anything. So I didn't. I didn't give up on the idea of suicide, but I decided not to do it that day because I knew he'd always feel guilty when there's something he could do or say to yeah. stop me. And there are things you could do. There are things you could say. So I said to her, how old is he now? She goes, he's 21. Yeah. I said, does he know his phone call saved your life? And this is, this is where my book title came in 2000, like 15, 14, but I never didn't tumble to it to five years later. Yeah. I said, does he know his phone call saved your life? She goes, no, how do you start that conversation? Should have started writing the book right then. Yeah. But that became the theme of my first TED talk, start the conversation, because that's all it really takes is somebody to, yeah, you know, to, to step up. It's You know how it is on the, when you're at a dance and the band's playing, there's nobody on the dance floor. And yeah. One couple goes out and starts dancing. Yeah. And all yeah. of a sudden. Yeah. Everybody goes out. Or you're in a comedy club. Yeah. Nothing better in a comedy club than one big laugher. Somebody to break that ice and laugh yeah. really hard to give everybody else cover. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's how it is with what I do is I, I, and then conversations ensue after I come in and, and what I do is I do Q and a after the keynote, the general uh -huh. Q and a, then I tell the audience, look, if you got a question you want to ask, you don't want to ask in front of everybody like yeah. I'm crazy. Can you help me? Yeah. Um, see me afterwards. I'll stay till everybody gets their questions answered. Did a show on Tuesday. We did the Q and a, I got done six people lined up. Right. And oftentimes they've got chronic suicidality. Uh-huh. They didn't know it had a name. They thought there was some kind of freak. They believe they were alone. Right. And the relief for them. Yeah. Is palpable. Yeah. When they realize they're not alone. Right. So here's the upshot, Seth. And then I'll let you talk. No, um, you're good. You're good. This is, you're, I'm having you on. You're, you're, yeah, you're the right. whole reason we're here. Everybody knows you. Um, I realized, because I was, I was in Montana in Billings after a college show. It's dark. It's snowing. There's street lights not far, so I'm kind of in a half light. Kids mm -hmm. going to get the truck to pick me up. So I picked the snowing, half light. I'm thinking about all the people that, that maybe I took them just far enough off that path yeah. to suicide. They might survive. Yeah. And I thought, oh, dear God, you know what? I'm George Bailey, and it's a wonderful life. Yeah. An angel, maybe the one that kept me from pulling the trigger, has shown me what these people's lives would be like if I were not here to speak for them to hear me. Right. And my next thought was, oh, God, I can't shoot myself or kill myself because I would take all these people with me. <laughs> okay. I... Here's, here's where the comic kicks in. Then the comic kicks in and goes, yeah, and they probably pursue you through eternity. Yeah. You were coming to Phoenix the next week. You couldn't wait a week. <laughs> Oh my goodness. So what saved you when you came close? Oh, well, it's very simple. It's, it's um, almost analog. I mean, it's not like some kind of spiritual. Um, yeah. When you are suicidal, people say after suicide, very selfish. Well, you know what? To the person who's thinking about it, it's just the opposite. Right, right. It's, You're doing everyone else a favor, right? Exactly. The world yeah. would be better off without you. And I had a million dollar life insurance policy. So mm. if I kill myself. A million myself, times better. Yeah. yeah, I was actually worth more dead than alive. Right. And my wife would be heartbroken, but she could, you know, be restored financially. Sure. Still had to work, but wouldn't have to worry about where, you know, the next meal was coming from. So I called my insurance agent because it had, I knew, having sold insurance, there's a two-year suicide clause in the policy. Mm. So any time in the first 24 months, they just give you the premiums back. Yeah. After 24 months, cha-ching, million yeah. dollars. Yeah. So I call, I call my insurance agent. We're chit-chatting away, and I'm just pretending like nothing's wrong. Yeah. People with mental illness are great actors. Yeah. And 
I said to him, how long have I had that policy? Just offhandedly. And he's clack, clack, clack. And he goes, 22 months. And then it hit him. He goes, and don't do it. Wow. Because he had had people call, ask that question. And then a couple of months later delivered. Yeah. Check. Yeah. And he said that when he heard me, when he realized what I was asking, not just how long I had the policy, but for permission to kill myself. Yeah. He said, he said a quick prayer that he hoped to God, whatever he said next would make a difference. Yeah. He said, don't do it. I said, look, Graham, here's the deal. And I tell my audience is this. Sometimes it's not what you say. It's say something. Sure, Whatever right. occurs to you, say something. Right. He said when he hung up, he told his wife, I think Frank's going to kill himself. Well, ironically, Seth, because of my chronic suicidality and, and the fact I'm willing to do it, open the exit door and jump out at any time. Yeah. That allowed me to go two months because I thought, well, you know, I can make two yeah. months. And yeah, what's, do it. what's the difference? Yeah. Long as long as yeah, a friend of mine said, if I didn't have my chronic suicide out, I'd have killed myself a long time ago. <laughs> sure. you know, as long as it's on the table. Yeah, it's, it's there forever, right? Yes. yes. So that, that's yeah. the iron, irony of the, yes. That's why I didn't pull the trigger. And of course, then it became my career. I mean, it's, it's you know, as you, as you now know, uh, they're going to yeah. pay me 10 grand for 45 minutes. Yeah. Not bad. So does it get any better than that? As, <laughs> as, a, friend of mine, as a friend of mine says, you're making more money than if you walked into that conference room with a gun and robbed everybody. <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. Oh, not everybody's that liquid, you know, they don't have that much currency. In them. No, that's right. No, give me the watch. Yeah. 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 Oh my goodness. So, so that's, that's it, how I got from comedy to, speaking and yeah yeah so it was not an open topic in your family even though you found out later that members of your family had suffered from um yeah it wasn't in my mother's generation it was worse than that it was Uh um and here's a trigger alert for anybody listening what i'm about to talk about is very disturbing so Uh if you have issues with depression suicide I don't want to trigger anybody who's watching this. So just trigger alert. This is going to be very disturbing. Just, you know, just mute it for about three minutes and come back. (laughs) Um, When my mother found my grandmother, Uh um, my great aunt wouldn't answer the phone. My mother got worried. We drove over. We let ourselves into the apartment. Everything was fine, except all the, all the food that should have been in the refrigerator, the butter, the milk, the eggs, the cheese on the counter. Oh, it was an old, it was an old old lock type refrigerators back in the day that when you, if you, if you, once you're in, you can't get out. Right. So my great aunt had decided to end her life. She had glaucoma. She didn't want to be dependent on anybody. Yeah. Of course, family history. So she crawls in there, pulls the door to behind her. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Then she tried to claw her way out, apparently. Oh, jeez. Uh, yeah, and passed away. And my mom didn't realize, didn't connect the eggs and the milk and the cheese in the refrigerator. So I'm holding onto her skirt, and I, we walk over. She opens the door. Yeah. My great aunt falls out on me and pins me to the floor. Oh, my gosh. Well, uh, somehow in my mind, I could, apparently I screamed for days, but I compartmentalized, yeah. I compartmentalized that. So the family came up with a legend. Okay. If asks, when, when does mom open that door? His aunt was sitting, great aunt was sitting there with her, very, very serene with her hands folded in prayer because she was very religious. Yeah. That was the legend. So 2012, my cousin has a restaurant in Raleigh. I remember chit-chatting away. And I mentioned that incident. And he goes, what? <laughs> Folded in prayer. Oh no, he wasn't part mine, of the pact. Mine, he knew because he was ten years older than I was. Oh, okay, but he, he figured, you know, it's, he goes, no, yeah. no, no, the old bat fell out on you, and all of a sudden, whatever was holding that back in my head just fell away, and I'm like, oh, no, God. kidding. Yeah, so again, you reconstructed yeah, the memory. It's like, the yeah, it's like, boom. Oh, oh, God, look at this. Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh. No putting it back. Yeah. Uh, 
but again, that was part of the process. Yeah. And I realized I had something to, you know, it's called lived experience, you know, it's called lived experience in the, in the mental health business. So I have, I have some lived experiences that people just go, Oh God. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Was yeah. not ready to reapproach the reality. No, but that, you know, that, but my mind and my sister's generation, my cousins, uh, it's all out in the open. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. and trust me, everybody except that one cousin, by the way, owns a restaurant, uh, two things. He didn't inherit the family high cholesterol mm-hmm. and he didn't, didn't inherit the mental illness, but everybody else in the family, Seth. Yeah. Man, my family's nuttier than a 25 pound bag <laughs> of squirrel food. They're all on something. Sure. But everybody's out about it. That's great. So yeah. the nieces and nephews, if they have an issue, it's not like you gotta hide it. Just tell mom. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And then you get the network of therapists and psychologists going, yeah. right? Medication. Oh, and by the way, here's a little piece of information. I'm amazed not that many people know. Yeah. Because when I speak, somebody comes up, my antidepressant's not working. Well, have you done the cheek swab DNA thing? What? Hmm. You know, like ancestry. They do a cheek swab and they take your DNA and they try to match it with, let's say, the couple of antidepressants that work best with your metabolism. So it cuts down oh. on the lab rat, you know, go on, taper off, go on, taper off. Yeah. I sat next to a pharmacist yesterday on the plane. Um, she works for Rite Aid. She actually hires pharmacists now, but she works for Rite Aid. She goes, Frank, that's 40 bucks at Rite Aid. Uh, what? You don't need a prescription? No, it's 40, 40 bucks at Rite Aid. You do this, you put it in, it's in the mail, you get, I thought, oh my God, how come nobody knows about this? Yeah. She goes, yeah, it's amazing technology. I mean, it's not, you know, it's not a hundred percent, but it's right. certainly close. It's not like throwing yeah. darts in the dark. Enough, right? Yeah. So I would recommend if you are, if you're not happy with the medication or it's not working, you know, I haven't got the right cocktail, have the DNA cheek swab. And, yeah. So and, that's right. Ed. Yeah. And because back then, when I first heard about it four years ago, it was a very short list they were testing it against. And of course now it's like, this. Yeah. and now it used to, be, used to be a couple hundred bucks, had that prescription, but 40 bucks yeah. and some insurances pay. Oh yeah. So yeah, she's the bike. Yeah. yeah. Tell your friends. Interesting. Right in. Well, there you go. Cheek swab. If unhappy. Yep. Uh, so, and you said you came from a religious family. Uh, oh. My dad was, my dad taught senior Sunday school. Uh huh. My grandmother was, my mother was not. Um, she oh, said, okay. I can't go to church because I don't have a hat. Back then women had to wear a hat at church. Right. When she passed away in the upper part of her closet, we found a dozen hats. So the hat, th- the hat thing wasn't. <laughs> so that was not the reason. Not the reason. No. Interesting. All right. And your dad was Episcopalian. Yeah. And a, um, he taught adult Sunday school. Yeah. And, and, uh, and you know, he, I, wish, I wish I could have known him as an adult. Apparently he was a great guy. Uh-huh. Um, he, he taught the Sunday school class. And they, uh, most of the Sundays they talked about one passage or other or whatever. But occasionally he would do something just off the wall. He taught all his guys the Roth memory course. Hmm. You know, how to remember names, how to remember, you know, it's Roth apparently was a big, it was a big thing yeah. back in the 60s. It was a memory course. Right. And my mother saw one of his students from the adult Sunday school years later. Hmm. And he said, are you Dixie King? My mom's name is Dixie. Yes. Well, I was one of your husband's um, students in Sunday school. And I just wanted to tell you that he I really enjoyed his, you know, his lessons, but, but, but particularly for, for several, a couple of months, all he did was he taught us the Roth memory system. And he said, yeah. after that point, I didn't really think much of myself. I didn't really think I had much to offer or I wasn't really going anywhere. And then I was able to, to, mem- to, to, to study and master that course. And he goes, it changed my life. Yeah. 
I realized I could do. There were things I could do if I put my mind to it. Yeah. So you never know what sort of impact. And that has nothing to do with religion. But sure. my dad was just that kind of guy. You know, he felt yeah. it valuable for young men to know this course if you're going to be in sales or whatever job. So he didn't, know, he didn't ask me why. He just taught it. Just did it. Yeah. So, you know, because sometimes church is about life lessons. Right. Uh, Magnolia, the woman who um, uh, was our maid, said that uh, the church is a couple of things. She said, stick with me. Uh, it's about, uh, it's not just about worship. It's about fellowship and friendship. Mm-hmm. Um, she says, um, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one. Uh-huh. And that uh, church is not a, a haven for the holy. It's a hospital for the sinners. Yeah. She, uh, yeah. She was quite the, and when she, the Episcopal minister preached at my mother's funeral. Mm. <laughs> not that great. Huh? No. And we had to convince him, no, Magnolia is going to speak because she knew oh. her intimate. I mean, she knew her from the time my dad passed away. Yeah. So she spoke, and I mean, uh, you could feel the church is going like this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you knew she knew her and felt the pain, and you know what I mean. It was, uh, yeah. yeah. It was just, and she was almost illiterate. My maid was. I know you. Yeah. When she got on stage, you would. When she got on the, the pulpit, you would never know it. She never yeah. wrote it. I always ask her if she never wrote the sermon down. Well, now I know because she couldn't write. Yeah, she's but she was new. Yeah, she said, uh, you know, God will provide it for me. And so right. she would get up into the pulpit. And I, I mean, you know, I was, I was waiting for balls of fire to come out of her. You know, because she, yeah. she truly felt. Yeah. Now, now, bear in mind, her former religion was a little bit Santeria. Which she didn't know what that was. Uh-huh. A little bit of mysticism, a little bit of United Church of Christ. She would say things like, I had a vision. Uh-huh. Bear in mind, I'm, I'm eight, my sister's six. Yeah, I saw somebody standing down by the fence, down by the street in a black dress like they just came back from a funeral. I said, in having lost a parent now, I yeah. said, Magnolia, whose funeral? I don't know. Well, that's not helpful. <laughs> Scared the bee Jesus. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, and she had those kind of things all the time. One time, one time she said there's going to be an earthquake in North Carolina. So my sister and I went around the neighborhood banging on doors, warning everybody of the impending earthquake. Yeah. A couple of weeks later, there was a tornado. And I was so scared because I thought that's what it was. I threw up. Yeah. And I said to Magnolia, Magnolia, she goes, I, I predicted that. I go, no, you predicted an earthquake. She said, earthquake, tornado, same thing. Uh, <laughs> it was a natural disaster. Yeah, it was a natural disaster. Did detail. the earth move a little bit? Sure. Detail, detail. Yeah, right. Yeah, it was an interesting right. upbringing uh, with Magnolia and, uh, and the two, yeah. the contrast in the, you know, in the, religions yeah interesting so what led you away from your faith um or did you ever feel really connected to it in the first place no i you know it never made any sense to me and then Mm -hmm. the older i got um i find the bible although full of good advice um it's a bit misogynistic Mm -hmm. it's a bit colloquial i mean i believe that i believe that that part of the world flooded back in the day I don't believe Noah put giraffes on the boat, by the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the, probably the cows and the pigs and everybody with, you know, anything edible got on first. Sure. Um, but, but, you know, it's, it's, I don't believe the whole earth was covered by water. I believe the earth as they knew it was covered by water. Right. Um, there's, a, again, a lot of good advice in the Bible, but there's some stuff missing to me. I mean, yeah. if, if I knew everything and I'm, I'm inspiring people to write a book, I might mention, you know, the earth goes around the sun. Sure. Uh, on a more practical note, um, make sure you put the um, outhouse below the well, not above the well. 
you know, that would seem I just just you know like maybe a separate chapter on practical. yeah yeah but it's not all a practical book right and yeah. I mean how important is it for us to know that the earth revolves around the sun not as important as it is to know to put the outhouse below the uh, well yeah. so you don't have waterborne illnesses right uh, and yeah, again it's very misogynistic it's yeah it just I I I, the reason I get along with a lot of conservative Christians is because I am as foursquare in my disbelief. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm committed. Um, and they're committed. Yeah. The, one, the people I cannot abide yeah. are the agnostics. Sure. Because as far as I can tell, they're just covering their bets. Well, look, I never said you didn't yeah. exist. Yeah, I just don't know. Sure. So can I get again? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, there is you, – you have that in common with God, right? There is a, a Bible verse that says – He'll spew the tepid right out of his mouth. There you go. Uh, and I, Lord, I want to be the tepid. I, I'd rather go up and, and say and have him go to me, Frank. You know, I am surprised I, that you were here. <laughs> I, yeah, and I didn't. I didn't. Uh, yeah, well, a friend of mine made a joke about that when I had my uh, had a number of heart surgeries. Yeah, and he said, you know, I don't. I don't want to go to Frank's. I picture myself. He said going to Frank's funeral and thinking about Frank. You know, arriving uh, and praying about Frank after he's passed away. Yeah. And then hearing from God, and what God would say is, I'm sorry, Frank who? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just like doesn't it. It, yeah, it just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make I mean that's you know, it's and and you know, and I'm I'm not a big fan of my way or the highways or religions where you know there's one and, and right. God seems a little bit insecure. Thou yeah. shalt have no other whatever than well, me. You and, know, he admits jealous. Say again? I said he he does admit that he's a jealous god. Yeah, it's just it doesn't matter, you know. And you got to worship him. I mean, yeah. you're all powerful. Do you really yeah. need that kind of reinforcement? Right, right. Yeah. So I just I did. It just doesn't make it amazes me. Yeah. Otherwise, intelligent people in this day and age still yeah. believe in you know the sky wizards. But two things: one, I understand they take great comfort from that, and I and I and so I I, I have no argument. With that. If you sure. if it works for you, for goodness sakes. Sure. Matter of fact, when I'm counseling somebody or talking to somebody who's depressed suicidal, if they have a strong faith in God or whatever, or whatever God or whatever, I try to leverage that. Yeah. You know, please then go home and pray and, and you know and, and find strength in your religion. Yeah. Even though I'm not <laughs> I'm not religious. But if it works for them, right. who am I? Right. They, you know. Do, do and, you, sorry, go ahead. Well, and I, and I tell my people when I'm doing my keynotes, look, and when you arrive at a scene, if you think somebody's depressed and suicidal, Mm. And you're talking to them. Don't lay. Don't try to overlay your religious beliefs on top of their religious beliefs. Oh, right, right. If you firmly believe you're going to go to hell if you die by suicide, if they don't believe that, then let's leave that out. <laughs> yeah, don't don't tell them that. No, don't tell them that. If that's not yeah. their, so you meet them where they are, wherever they right. are religiously. You find them and right. you reinforce. Yeah, you know, to, to leverage that to keep them alive. Sure, sure. And I got no pro. I got no problem with that. Yeah. Um. I I've often said I wish I did believe in a god uh-huh. because it would make, make make life a lot easier you know you got something to look forward to and yeah um, yeah yeah i've got yeah, a friend of mine who said i wonder okay. about i guess religion because in mormonism there is uh i guess a stigma against those who suffer from mental illness there's not yeah. much talk about going to see a therapist i think that's gotten much much better with younger generations yeah. Um, but I wonder if you found that as well with your religious upbringing, that maybe that was a reason people didn't talk about the mental health issues. 
It was like, well, you should just be more righteous, pray it away or whatever, right? Yeah, well, you know, the Episcopals aren't that conservative of a, of a religion. I've got a friend who's a Baptist minister. and He, he believed until we had a long chat that, you know, it was demons. And, oh, yeah. And then if you're right. stronger and you believe in Christ. And right. I, I bump into it all the time. I yeah. on the college campus, a kid came up to me. He was obviously troubled. Yeah, and he said, well, "I said, tell your folks, African American, which by the way has a higher rate of suicide because they tend not to come out to the family and friends because yeah. of cultural things." And he said, "Yeah, I told my folks, and they gave me a Bible and the minister's phone number." Mm. And I said, "Well, that's a good start. Yeah. I mean, it could be uh, helpful to talk about it, right?" Yeah, and if you can find a Bible-based therapist, yeah, that has your belief, that's great. Yeah. I said, but here's the deal. You're away from home. You're on campus. It's included in your student fees. There's a mental health center. You, nobody will know back yeah. home. Yeah. You might go in there and get evaluated. Sure. Then when you get home, find a religious-based therapist. Right. You know, for right. your denomination. And that will yeah. probably be very helpful. Right. But, yeah, it's – um. It's yeah, and the Episcopals are you know <laughs> like they're like Catholics for almost all the ceremony and none of the guilt. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, it's very you know it's very well, you you know they have gay gay and lesbian you know priests and I think there's a lesbian woman who's heading up the whole shoot match. Yeah. So they're oh. um you know they're they're very big tent liberal sort of. Uh huh. Yeah. So it wasn't it wasn't um mental health, but back when I was a kid, I mean, middle nobody talked to it. Right. I mean, I think yeah. there was just a social stigma at the time against it. Yeah, and I think it still exists. I think when I talk, I, people ask me about that. I said, look, alcoholism 50, 60 years ago, there's a reason alcoholics were anonymous. Yeah. Because yeah. people thought it was a moral failing and a character flaw. Yeah. And so mental illness is still kind of right there for a lot of people. Right. You pull yourself up by your bootstraps if you were stronger. Right. I don't know what you think about our president, but um, I would personally shoot him for this. Yeah. Uh, he said, you know, people come back from Iraq and Afghanistan who are strong, don't get PTSD. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, God. It has yeah. nothing to do with strength. Yes. Nothing. Yeah, it's not about strength. Oh, God. No, uh, no not at so, all. But there is that. Yeah, know, that, that thought, right? A general in the Air Force on a, on a stand down where they shut everything down on the base, Air Force base, to talk about suicide prevention, said, if you die by suicide, if an airman dies by suicide, that means he or she is chicken poop but he didn't yeah. say poop yeah yeah and it's like oh god oh lord of course he apologized later but there's still that you know depending on generation and part of the country and yeah how you feel about it. and men especially pull yourself up by your boots yeah yeah maybe you know this maybe you don't Seth. they had eight out of ten people who died by suicide in the u.s now are men age 45 54 mostly caucasian yeah i believe that in, in part because they won't reach out right right yeah, well, so, we can't be weak, you know? No, can't be seen as weak unless no. there's a paycheck in it. And, and, and I'm an invertebrate. That's fine. Yeah. So how do you uh, – I guess I, uh, have, I'm thinking of two other questions. I'm not yeah. sure exactly which order to ask them. But uh, you're talking about some – you know, you're talking to your insurance agent, and he sort of has this premonition, this is where you're headed. And so he says what he says. You're talking to the woman on the cruise ship, and she has – you know, what I would term a miracle, right? With her yeah. daughter calling or her son. Calling rang. Yeah. Right. I mean, how do you view those? Or is that just coincidence or? I would say, um, yeah. although in each case, and there's a dentist I talked to who works in Canada. Mm -hmm. She had, um, had something happen with her hand. And so she was no longer able to practice. Mm -hmm. But she still owned a practice. She thought that would do. And yeah. then it didn't. Yeah. And she was standing on a stool in her garage with a rope around her neck. 
about to do it, and she had her cell phone on her, and the cell phone rang, and she looks, and it's a patient, so she picks it up. Yeah. And the patient had broken a tooth or something. Couldn't you come in? And it's like a weekend. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'll be right there. <laughs> so, sure. so in not her mind, helps, huh? <laughs> and yeah, in her mind, you know, it's a miracle. So again, depending on your particular, um, yeah, your outlook, I suppose. Yeah, I don't think I don't believe in a lot of accidents, you know, mm -hmm. uh, or coincidence. I'm I'm more of a karma. Um, oh, interesting. You know. Um, Things that happen seem to happen for, I don't think, I'm not saying everything happens for a reason, yeah. but you, you bump into somebody and you're like, I can't believe I. Yeah. Just how did this it. happen? How did this happen? So there, yeah. not that there's a master plan, but I think I'm not a big believer in coincidence. I think, you know, oftentimes things happen for a reason. Yeah. By that same token, um, there are people who overdose and they're hoping that someone would come home. Right. And, right. and then they, they stop by the convenience store, didn't get there in time. And so. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Now, one last note on the religion. A friend of mine who's a very conservative Christian said, you're an atheist because you want to be able to do whatever it is you want to do. Oh, right. Well, that's what I would think growing up. You know, I, yeah. I've changed my view on that, but. No rules. Right. Like, like Outback. No rules, just right. Yeah, yeah. And, and I said, no, think of it this way. I have to make that moral call over and over because I don't have a book. Right. I'm not going to be either punished for misbehaving or rewarded for behaving. Sure. Well, you may not think so, Frank. Yeah. You may not think so. <laughs> yeah, that's, right. Yeah. that's right. Yeah. Uh, over a beer in heaven, Frank, I told you. <laughs> uh, so I have to make those calls based on my, and somebody said, well, where do you get morals from? Well, my mom was not particularly religious, but she was a very moral woman. She would never do anything to her advantage that would hurt someone else. Matter of fact, she yeah. went out of her way to help a lot of people, which I learned at her, her knee. So, It'd be a lot easier if I had a book, you know, a book of regulations, yeah. the teacher's manual. Right. Uh, so I would know, well, should I do that? Oh, no. Not, yeah. wear, not wear a piece of clothing made out of two different fibers. I can't right. do that. That's an right. abomination. Um, there's another one. Uh, <laughs> yeah, two men lying together, that's an abomination. Well, did you enjoy the shrimp at Red Lobster? You're going to have to give that up. Uh, yeah. you, are you nearsighted? You can't approach the uh, altar without perfect vision. Right. Um, so yeah, it's um, so yeah, it would be easier if I had a book of do's and don'ts. Yeah, do you feel like I mean, when I've talked to people, there's a sense of inner knowledge that you just know what is right and wrong. That's the way I feel. Yeah. Um, again, by my, you know, I think it has a lot to do with your upbringing, how you how you were raised. Yeah. A good upbringing, as my mom would say, uh, yeah. is yeah. instill in you values, morals, values. Um, yeah, I think it's it's just uh, either you develop it over time, right? Or, right. Or well, you, I think or, there are even instances of children who are not raised perfectly well, right, with an abusive father or yeah. mother or whatever, who still know, oh, that was that's wrong. That's wrong. You know, now they might not be able to break the cycle of abuse, but it seems like there's still this inner sense. Yeah, and that's a compass, like a moral compass. Yeah. Yeah, and so I, I I do my best, and and my conservative Christian friends, by the way, uh, the one in particular, the Baptist minister, he said, yeah. to me, Frank, you know what? You live your life closer to the teachings of Jesus Christ right. than a lot of my Christian friends. Right, right. <laughs> so it's a, yeah. as my as Magnolia would say, I mean, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, just imagine how they would be without religion. You know? Oh God, much more 
Oh Lord! More murder and mayhem in this world. By the way, um, I know this looks odd. Uh, no, oh yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I was doing a uh, coaching call. I'm ghostwriting a book for a guy. Yeah. And at at 55 minute mark, we've been 55 minutes talking. Yeah. And he goes, "Listen, I just gotta ask, what in the world <laughs> is wrong with that eye?" I go, "Well, I got high in only half my brain, apparently." Right. No, I take blood thinners from my heart valve, and uh -huh. every now and then, and I think it had to do with flying this week, because you know the pressure changes. Oh, I think yeah. I think the pressure changed too fast, and a blood vessel popped. In a couple oh, of days, no. it'll be gone. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. it does yeah. look like I'm a zombie. Yeah. <laughs> you're fine. You're fine. I was just going to ignore it completely. Yeah, uh, good boy. But I thought your your viewers, if you're doing this on video, might. Well, why did he ask about that eye? Yeah, well, he's the mental health comedian and the red eye comedian. That's yeah. what he's known for. I took a red eye flight. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so, hey, what's live. your view of the afterlife? Is there anything that no. waits? No, nope. no. I think I think everything. I believe everything in the universe is connected at a molecular level. I uh -huh. think that when we see ourselves, like I see myself separated physically. I mean, physically, I'm separated from the desk and the trees and the whatever. But I think right. we're all all of this is connected at some sort of molecular level. And I believe, you know, nothing's created or destroyed, just changes form. Uh huh. So that I, if there is a place to go, I'll just go where everybody, I'm hoping, go where everybody else went. Who's Sure. Uh, but that, you know, that place can't, can't include a God. No, not, it's not. No. Yeah. Although it's ironic, I lie in bed sometimes at night. We have two dogs and they're sleeping in crates with us. And the cats are all piled up on the bed, just warm and cozy. And everybody's in you know good health and yeah I, I lie there in the dark and i think to myself you know if heaven isn't just like this i'm not going <laughs> what would be the point right? why bother yeah, yeah. it's uh but I, I believe heaven and earth exist for us here uh-huh so you want to do as much good work as you can while you're here and you know at the very least do no harm right um and do as much good as you can yeah um yeah it's and why did I? Why did I pull up short? Why did I pull up short? Twenty-two months, twenty-four months a day, I'd be gone. So, yeah, yeah. you got you got to wonder. Yeah. Well, what is that reason? You know, why? Uh, there was yeah. there are many things in heaven and earth that something I quote yeah. about. Yeah, it's hard to understand. Yeah. So, anyway, um, so I try to live a good life and help as many people as I can, and um, and I take great joy in um, you know helping people. Which reminds me, are you going to be doing? Uh, do you post videos of this or just the audio? I, I do video uh, on YouTube and then I'll post audio on the podcast. Good boy. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah, because I try to encourage podcasters because, you know, YouTube trans transcribes it so there'll be a script, uh, right. which means keywords and SEO. Hello. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's. Uh, yeah. No, this will be up on Anchor and uh, iTunes, Google Play, all the, all the, you know, Spotify everywhere. Yeah. Oh, the great new thing about Google Play, it's not, I think, relatively new, is they transcribe it as well. So when mm. Google's looking, they hear the, the Google machine hears the audio and looks over the text. That's just yeah. Weird. That freaks some people out, Frank. You're getting some scary, you know. <laughs> it's 62 uh, that I know that. It's pretty freaky. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. Really appreciate the conversation. Uh, well, you strike me as a very good person. So I feel like. When you meet God, he'll be he'll overlook. Probably. I'm hoping when I get there, because look, Frank, you yeah. know, at least, at least you're not an agnostic, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah exactly. Well, I gotta ask you before I leave because a lot of people don't know we had you and your mom on our Suicide Punchline podcast. Yeah, oh, um, podcast. How's your mom? Oh, my mom is doing well. Yeah, yeah, she's well, doing well. As we sit down south, please tell her I ask after her. 
Yeah, I will. I will. Absolutely. Bless her heart. And I will contact you if um, we start that um, television version of the mental health comedy tour. Because we're going to oh, need good, good, solid comics if we're willing to talk about mental health. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Anything else you want to plug for yourself? Uh, um, if people want to find me, the, the mentalhealthcomedian.com. And let me and make sure you put my phone number in the show notes. Uh, can I give it to you? I guess I can give oh. it to you. Yeah. Do you want to email it and I'll put it in? Yeah. And the reason I do that is um, when I do my keynote, I say, look, if you're suicidal, call the Suicide Prevention Lifeline or text, you know, 741 741. Yeah. Um, if you're just having a, you're mentally ill and having a really bad day, call somebody who's crazy. Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, because you know, we're not going to be judgmental. We're not going right. to tell you what you should be doing. We're not going to recommend fish oil. Right. Um, we're just going to listen. Yeah. And so, so I tell people, look, I'm going to put my cell phone number in the show notes. If you're having a really bad day and just need to talk to somebody, want to co-sign your BS, as a friend of mine yeah. says, yeah. Uh, call me. And it's amazing. The phone will ring. I'll pick it up. And I go, hey. And they go, oh, my God. That really was your cell phone. <laughs> well, yeah, duh. Of what, I, would I teach somebody who's circling the drain? Come on. How bad is that? Yes. Yeah, that'd be what so kind messed of karma? up. karma. just got this, like, have you done it yet? Message. Yeah. <laughs> Please hold. <laughs> Here's the music while you wait. Ah, the hell. <laughs> oh, but uh, wait. Let, I got one last joke for you. Please. Um, yeah, what was it? Um, another one bites the dust. And another one down. And, oh, I know. When I do uh, some of these speeches, I put up a countdown clock on the screen. Uh-huh. And I started at 11 minutes. And I, and I say, you know, at this moment in this country, one person has 11 minutes to live. And I start mm -hmm. the clock. So they're watching yeah. that clock, and they're watching me. They're watching that clock. And I was at this function last month, and a guy goes, Frank, listen, let's let the clock run down to zero. And then I'll kick on the music. Another one down, another one bites the dust, and another one gone. <laughs> oh, man, that is so wicked, and I wish I could still do it. <laughs> it's like the last thing they need, right? Is I know, but that's, that's coming out. You know, comics love dark comedy oh. sets. You know how that is. Yeah, absolutely. It's beautiful. That's why, All right, man. Too many open mics and go to a real show, people are like, oh, no, this guy's. This, this is not okay. Something's this is wrong. not, but I love, I love the darker the better. It's yeah. just. The comics in the back are laughing. The people in the eyes are, uh, what is happening right now? <laughs> oh, for goodness sake. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's great. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Everybody definitely check out Frank King. He's hilarious, as you can tell. Yeah. And if you're, you know, having a really bad day, give me a holler. Yeah, we'll put it in the notes. Thanks. Thank you, Frank. See you, Seth. Bye.